This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I regularly share clean Christian jokes. They're cheesy, but cheesy can be funny, right? I also am that mom who enjoys putting jokes and other fun facts in my kids' lunchboxes. So I've combined the two just for you. If you're listening to this episode when it launched, which is August 2023, you can go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash jokes and download 10 lunchbox jokes for your Christian kids, tweens, or teens for free. We all can use a little more laughter in our lives. So head to graceenoughpodcast.com slash jokes to download jokes like how do groups of angels greet each other? Hello, hello, hello. You download them, print them out, cut them up, and insert one each day for 10 days to add a little lunch laughter or eye roll to your kid's day. With that said, this week on Grace Enough, I sit down with Allie Worthington. We discuss motherhood in her book, Remaining You While Raising Them. This is not a book or a podcast conversation about how to raise your children. It is a conversation about paying attention to what your needs are as a mother and taking care of those needs in order to parent from a place of health versus a place of guilt, comparison, and exhaustion. If that's what you need, welcome and enjoy. Good morning, Allie, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to our conversation as a mom myself. I do not have five boys, though. That That's <laughs> how often do you get, Allie, five boys? What What do you do with five boys? All the time. Anytime we're all out together, people are shocked. You know, when they were younger, people were super shocked. I've joked that it is my claim to fame in life. That's what I I will be remembered for, surviving five sons. What was your oldest when you had five? Like, I can't remember what you wrote. Yeah, nine. Okay. So when I lived in Tampa, my friend Catherine had five boys, six and under. And I just remember when I would be struggling the most, I would say to myself, Okay, Catherine has five boys, six years and under. If she can do it, I can do it. That was the mantra I would say to myself. She's tough. I have all the respect for her. Uh, Yeah, I have respect for anybody who parents children, whether you have one or 50, because it's not an easy job. And so with that said, before we begin talking a little bit more about your newest book, share a little bit about how you came to know Jesus. Just a little of that faith journey. I love to know people's stories. I'm a bit unusual in the Christian author world. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up with a mom who was a bit of a hippie and we didn't go to church, even though my grandfather was a Southern Baptist pastor. 
And she always taught me about Jesus. You know, she loved Jesus. She taught me from the Bible. But I would say that I really came to know Jesus until high school when I went to a Christian high school. So at Hmm. 16, that's when I gave my life to the Lord. So I missed a lot of the good and the not so helpful parts of growing up in Christian. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because there's such value in the roots of growing up in the faith. And then there's a lot of untangling you have to do if you grow up in church culture. (laughs) Yeah, all my boys, the ones who are grown, the ones who are still in school, they go to Christian school. Mm -hmm. So we're always having conversations of what's biblical and what's cultural. Yeah. Because sometimes what's biblical gets mixed in with what's cultural and we have to go, no, that's a cultural thing. There's not actually biblical grounds for that. So we're teaching them to love the Lord, stay true to the Bible, but just to keep an eye out for things that are cultural messages, which we'll talk about a little bit more um, as we go on, because there's a lot of those. And if we don't learn to discern what's more cultural than biblical, Mm -hmm. most people can get into trouble. Yeah. I mean, same thing with my kids continuous because they're in Christian school as well, but continuously even having the conversation of think through that. Mm -hmm. Ask some questions, even of what mommy and daddy say, like learn how to be a critical thinker and not a critical thinker in the sense of everything's got to be negative, but just, you know, you want to be able to look and see, is that really what the Bible says? And do I, is that what I believe that it says? Right. Because sometimes even one group of people believe the Bible say one thing and another group believe it says something else. Take some work. Yeah. Well, so being a mom of five boys, you're also, though, an incredibly, um, I mean, you've achieved a lot as a businesswoman, and you started that when they were, maybe even before they were born, I'm not sure. Tell us a little bit about what it was like being an entrepreneur when they were little, and how did you really keep those two things going without losing your mind? Well, it's funny, because all I ever really wanted to do, other than be a zookeeper when I was younger, uh, was be a (laughs) stay-at-home mom. And so I was a stay-at-home mom through fourth kid. I was lonely in it. So I started blogging. But then when I was pregnant with our fifth son, my husband lost his job. This is the the Great Recession of 2008. My husband lost his job too. Yeah. I mean, it was just tough. And -hmm. we had a home we couldn't afford. It went into foreclosure. Five weeks after he was born, my youngest son, we lost everything except what fit into two storage units. And we lost our home, moved in with my grandfather. And we would take the kids to McDonald's Playland and mm-hmm. use their Wi-Fi. And my husband would apply for new jobs. And I would Google, how do you start a business on the internet? And I was already familiar with some things like blogging and social media. There's only Twitter around back then. I had a broken laptop with missing keys that I have to press the keys really hard to get going and $42 of startup money. Mm. And as soon as he did get that new job at the end of the summer and we got settled in again, I knew that God was calling me into a season where I was going to help the family. Like I didn't have the financial privilege to go, I'm just, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom and enjoy that. I knew it was my season to help out too. So I think a lot of women... God will put a calling on their heart to do something, to build something, whether it's write a book or start a business or so many things, but there's so much guilt with what if I take it minutes for myself or money for myself and it should go to my children. But because I didn't have the financial luxury Mm. to have those thoughts, I never felt guilty for it. Now it was hard and growing the business was just part of taking care of my kids. I'd nurse the baby at night, you know, in the middle of the night and I'd have, you know, one arm holding him up and the other arm on a keyboard. 
because I was using that time. Um, when they would play at a playground, if it was a closed end playground and they couldn't mm. get out, you better believe I'd have my laptop and I'd be doing stuff. I wasn't always working, but whenever they didn't need me for something, nap time or watching a movie or anything else, that's when I worked. I'd mm. stay up late at night, but I think that the guilt of taking time for ourselves as mothers is something that happens to a certain segment of Christian women because we have the luxury to be able to feel guilty for it because there are millions of women who love the Lord, but don't have the financial luxury to feel guilt over having to support their families. Mm. And so when we think about it that way, it really changes things. I mean, it wasn't easy. My youngest used to come up to me and smack my MacBook closed and he was about two or three and go, no work, mommy. And be like, okay, it's enough work for today. But when we think about it in the sense that women have always worked, we have just been doing the household labor for thousands of years. There's never been a time where women just sat and French braided their children's hair all day and taught them Latin, you know, except for some luxury classes. You know, it used to take all day just to wash the laundry and hang it out to dry and and walk and get water for your family. Right. Like walk and get water. It's so fascinating. Research has been done showing that moms spend more parents, moms and dads spend more time with their children now than 50 years ago, actively engaged in parenting. But we kind of romanticize 50 ish years ago and think it was a little bit different. And we're carrying all that guilt because of it. Oh, girl, you're speaking. You're speaking to me. (laughs) (laughs) See, you've learned how to do that well and by experience, right? I mean, how do you switch or how have you discovered or helped other women switch the mindset to having more of that? No, women have always worked. Our job is not necessarily to sit and play in the sandbox all day long or Constantly sit at the table and do the dot paint or, you know, go ahead and and name them. Well, I'll tell you, for me, it's twofold. One, it's realizing that some messages are cultural, but not biblical. Biblically, what we're called to as mothers is love our children, disciple them Mm. and share our faith with them, live out our faith around them. We are not called to worship them and we are not God. God is God for our children. We are not God. Not everything we do matters in our children's lives, but we act like everything we do matters in our children's lives. A lot of Mm. it just comes out in the wash. Secondly, understanding the research of what's been going on historically. Like how much time did parents spend 50 years ago? Was it better? What were they doing? What were women doing? You know, we have more free time now than we ever have in history. Mm -hmm. And we're killing ourselves emotionally going, I'm not doing enough. We're doing enough. The women who worry they're not doing enough, they're probably doing too much. The women who aren't doing enough, they're not concerned about it. I once uh, had a conversation with a friend of mine who was a therapist and she was like, oh, think about it this way. The narcissists never go to a therapist and go, can you just help me make sure I'm not selfish? They're not worried about it. So the people who need help generally aren't raising their hand going, can I have a little help with, with my mom guilt. You know mm. what I mean? It's the women who are doing more than enough, 200% more, who are like, I'm not sure I'm doing enough. And I guess my message, and it's backed up by research, when you look at the research of how kids are doing and how moms are doing right now, we're doing more than enough. And we mm. can give ourselves a little grace. And I think that God wants us to give ourselves a little grace. 
So when you were doing this and they were toddlers and you knew that you didn't have that freedom, did you personally ever experience the mom guilt? Like, did you ever go through that? Sure. Or because, well, and I, I, the reason why I ask that is because it's a really good point to consider when you don't have the privilege to not work, do you really not ever experience that? Oh, yeah. But I didn't let that be my primary emotion. Yeah. I mean, you were able to put things like in the right place, you yeah. know, thoughtfully, like this is when time has to be with my kids. This has to be work and then so on. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. I also didn't have the financial luxury to hire help for yeah, the first work in the margin years. Yeah. So it was just work and kids were all together. So mm. you can see pictures of our living room from back then. There was always an open laptop on the table next to the couch. Because when Blue's Clues came on and I had a <laughs> glorious 15 minutes where everyone was settled down, that's when I'd knock out some email. I mean, it wasn't the most productive time. Right. But the thing is, the the little baby steps we take, they add up over time. But I can look back at it now very clearly and go, I wasted way too much time feeling guilty about that. Because I believe so much that in this season of my life, starting in 2008, when I first started working on my business, God has called me just as much to be a wife and as mother to as a business leader and an author mm -hmm. and a speaker. And if I let that guilt that would pop up and sure it pop up a little bit, probably every day. If I let those feelings that popped up, keep me from it, I wouldn't be obeying God. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have the joy in my life that I have now. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is when women have children, and then we continually put our needs on the shelf because we focus in on that baby at first, which is good, what we're supposed right. to do. But then we forget, oh, we're also supposed to focus on ourselves too. When we kind of let ourselves shrivel on the vine, it is our children and our family that pays the price because mm. we end up resentful. We can get depressed. And in many cases, we can get a little bit bitter. I remember going to a Christmas celebration. I was about eight years old and I didn't know what was going on, but I knew my aunt Shirley and the women who had cooked were not happy. Mm. And what I've learned later on, they had felt that they needed to cook for days and prepare this big meal. And they always felt a little bit cheated that they never got to enjoy themselves and they never felt appreciated enough, but they felt like they had to do it and they were bitter about it. Yeah. And I can look back at eight years old Allie and go, I don't know what's going on here, but I need to make sure when I'm a grown up, this doesn't happen to me. I mean, how many women feel like they have to play a role and their hearts get hurt and we end up bitter about it? It happens all the time. That's what happens when we don't take care of ourselves because for a woman, for a mother, whatever our level of emotional health is, and I consider emotional health a combination of mental health and spiritual health. Whatever our level of health is, our children aren't going to be healthier than we are as we're living with, as they're living with us. So sure. if we don't take care of ourselves, how can we magically expect our children to take care of themselves and to feel joyful and to understand boundaries and to take care of themselves? It's really hard to do that. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership at Bow. We believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. 
Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, so tell me this, as you know, we're in this culture where you do have the extreme of self-care, and then you have the difference of soul care, and there are some blurry lines all along the way where, you know, because we often put out one-liners, it can be all or nothing. Oh, you're not enough. Oh, but you are enough. And if you're not paying attention to what's actually going on in really reading into what someone's writing, you don't really know what they're saying by that one liner or what they mean. Yeah. And so when you say taking care of yourself, I think I know what you mean, but will you delve into that a little bit more? Like, how do you take care of yourself when you're mothering five children? Yeah. The bare minimal for one, drinking enough water. Yeah. Trying to get enough sleep. It's hard when they're little sleep is, you know, a precious quantity getting outside and getting fresh air. Yeah. Moving your body. Even if it's putting that baby in a stroller for 20 minutes a day, it's prayer, it's reading your Bible and it's learning to advocate for yourself. Mm. What are your needs? Maybe your husband needs to watch that baby for a couple extra hours on Saturday night. Cause you got to catch up sleep. Maybe it is if finances allow, you need a babysitter on Saturday, not to leave the house, but so you can actually sit down and enjoy life while somebody does the work that you are exhausted from doing for the week. I mean, that is great self-care. I think there is this idea that self-care is taking a bubble bath and going and get your toenails painted, but that's not self-care that's going to help your soul. We need self-care that is going to help our soul. And you know, you can look at research. One of the best things that we can do for ourselves is just to get outside and go for a walk, just a simple 20 minute walk, easy, free, simple things to do. Things like that really matter for us. So those are the ways we need to take care of ourselves. It's when we put our needs on the shelf and we don't take care of ourselves and we just let ourselves be, you know, we sacrifice ourselves on the altar of motherhood all the time. That's done often out of a place of love, but it's so bad for us physically and emotionally we aren't the only ones that'll pay the price. Our families pay the price too. And our daughters grow up thinking that's the way women should behave. And our sons grow up thinking this is the way women are when it's not the healthiest version of ourselves, even when it comes from really, really good intentions of, I love my family so much. I'm going to do everything to make sure they're okay. Generally that's over-functioning. It's doing too much. Mm -hmm. Well, and would you also say, because I know For me, it's one of those things where if you let it go for so long, then what happens is just explosive. And you've gone from a place of probably being able to communicate with your spouse or your parents or your in-laws, something that just says, hey, I really need a few hours to, oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. Like, you know, and you're just blown your lid completely and then everything's unraveling. It's why getting in the practice of even, even for a walk, going putting baby in a stroller or kids on bikes, it allows us to breathe. 
and to get out of our normal space and to go, what do I need right now? Mm. Because as women, we tend to not ever think, what do I need? Because we're so focused on the needs of others. But this magic question of what do I need right now and getting in touch with ourselves and what we need can stop us from stuffing and then exploding. Mm. Because sometimes we need a bath. Uh, sometimes we need uh, a babysitter. You know, yeah. sometimes we need Kentucky fried chicken for dinner because if we make dinner again, we're going to lose it. But it's just that habit, a small habit of every day going, what do I need right now? Yeah. And then learning to, to tell ourselves, I have value. I have worth. I'm not meant to sacrifice myself here and be miserable and make everybody else miserable. I'm going to advocate for what I need right now. Mm -hmm. So once we get to the point where we're exploding, we've exploded. We we don't need to beat ourselves up for it. You know, (laughs) we we don't, there's nothing good that comes from beating ourselves up for it. We ask forgiveness for the people we exploded to. We say, Lord, you're going to have to help me do better next time. But then starting next day, magic question. What do I need right now? What do, and, mm. and then just start little baby steps, taking care of ourselves yes. to protect ourselves and our families from that. Yeah. And that's something that I love about Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith, seven types of rest. And I think sometimes what brings rest to you may not be what brings rest to me. Right. And yeah. you know, there's creative rest and some people are filled up by meeting with their great girlfriends, whereas some people are drained by that. And it's just good to explore like, what are the things when you were a kid that really filled you up? Maybe it was painting, right? Whatever. And and take a few minutes to get back into that, you know? And so those things can be really important. But with that said, I want I do want to focus, you know, your book is Remaining You While Raising Them. And so how did you choose to structure your book a little bit differently than some of the other parenting books out there? And why? Well, I love that you mentioned parenting because this is truly not a parenting book. Um, I'm not telling anybody how to raise their kids because honestly, I don't think you can. I think there are some guiding principles, but you know, I have five and I've had to parent them differently, but (laughs) what, because they're all so different. It just proves that the the Lord has them created in the womb and that they're just going to come out with how they come out. It's so Um, true. Oh, for all you mamas of toddlers out there, you're going to say, hang on one day you do sleep more, but then you got to parent 18 different personalities. So (laughs) we love you, but it is still challenging, right? And I'll tell you, I think it's a blessing because there's been, you know, my oldest, he just about did me in. He was so difficult to parent, but then I have a couple others never been in trouble. I know. So it's just... Thank goodness that you can parent them all differently because they're also, if they were all that much trouble, <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd be a very different woman right now. Um, but this one really is for mothers because mothers are the, the secret sauce in, in parenting. And we have been so focused on the needs of our children instead of also taking care of ourselves. We're dying on the vine here. So I wanted to create a resource. Now, of course, I waited until most of my children were of adult age because I'm a big believer that no one without a ton of experience <laughs> needs to write a book on a topic. You know what I mean? Oh. Um, and, I mean and also <laughs> my editors fussed at me a little bit, but I was like, I don't, I, I figured if I wrote a book about being a mom, one of my children would go to prison because, <laughs> you know, just, just to humble me. <laughs> So I wanted to wait till they're a little older, but I wanted a resource for moms because the book comes in three parts. The first one is kind of explaining what's going on with motherhood right now, which I believe motherhood is broken. 
Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, so many of us are, are doing the thing that we've wanted to do our whole life. And it's so important. Like there's nothing, there's nothing I will ever do in my life that matters to me more than raising my children. I love them. They are my greatest joy, this side of heaven, love them. But at the same time, some of us are pretty miserable in the day to day. The day to day is hard. It is. So I want to address that. And then in the middle section, I wanted to go through the lies that we believe about motherhood that's, that's killing us. Some of us have been told to us. Some of us are cultural. Um, and then the last part are habits to help us thrive, because it's great to know about the problem and to know the truth about what God wants us to know and what research says. It's a super research heavy book. But then the last section is here's some little tiny things that you can do that aren't work because sometimes you hear habits help you thrive and you're like, great, I got to start working out and eating broccoli. None of that. <laughs> little tiny Praise habits. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Little things that you can do to help you feel supported. Like there's a chapter on our friendships. There's a chapter on marriage. There's a chapter on uh, learning that magic question of what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. Because we have to keep taking care of ourselves if we're going to take care of other people. There's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of therapists coming along beside me, uh, advising me, reading this manuscript. I had a mental health consultant because I felt really strongly that it couldn't just be my opinion. It couldn't just be my opinion and research. I really needed mental health professionals to to make sure that everything I was saying was backed up with yeah. with everything that it should be because when, when we get into people's opinion only, that's when things can be a little dangerous, I believe. I think something else that I've realized as mine are currently, um, we're, we're just on the cusp of the teenage years. So, but 13, I find the teenage years amazing and lovely. Well, I actually think that I'm already seeing that I enjoy them a lot. Now the range of emotions can be strange so far, but I like that we can laugh and you start getting the jokes and the sarcasm and you can oh, sit yeah. and have a conversation. So I find those things fun, but I'm not fully there yet. So we'll see. But 13, I'll tell you, 10, I, I think seven. it's way easier than toddlers. And I love my toddlers and I dreaded teenage years. But once I got to teenage years, I was like, oh, okay. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, because I see, I'm going on a side note because I just read a meme that I shared last this week, I think. And it was like, you know how donkey is with Shrek when Shrek walks away, he just walks behind him going, bam, bam, bam. I mean, he just talks. I'm like, he, that's what it's yep. like being a parent to a toddler. And I'm like, yes. And a preschooler and an early elementary yes. age child. They just walk behind you, like talking constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that that's hard for me. That wears me out. But I, what I wanted yep. to say is I feel like something culturally for us is not is it not setting enough responsibility for our children is also just sucking the soul out of parenthood. I don't know how you feel about that, but I mean like having them help at the house, having them have their chores. Because for me, that was something that even now when I start getting super overwhelmed, I'm like, okay, I need to reevaluate. Can my children help more? Because it's too much for two parents or single parent to be yeah. doing all the things. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, before I go into kind of how my philosophy on it, not only do we as a whole not have our children take responsibility in the home, mm-hmm. we tend to keep responsibility for our children until they're in college. There is an epidemic now of parents talking to college professors. Oh, sweet Jesus. My <laughs> oldest is already out of college. I never knew what classes he was taking. 
because he was in college on his own, but he would tell me stories of pe- of people's parents getting involved with the professors and raising cane with the university. They're grown. They have beards and the parents <laughs> are still involved. And there's an interesting quote from someone that used to head up um, a counseling center for college students saying this generation's college students is so full of anxiety and ill-prepared for what they're going to go through Mm. in college because their parents have never let them make decisions or take responsibility for themselves. So it starts when they're young and it builds a little bit and a little Mm -hmm. bit. We kind of, my oldest would say I was still too strict and the strictest. He used to call me the coolest, but strictest mom in the high school. They would be like, you're cool, but you're a little too strict. Uh, (laughs) We gave them, especially him because he was the wild one. We gave them just enough rope to hang themselves at home so they could make the decisions Mm. and we could pick up the pieces before they left. But that responsibility starts when they're really little. I read all the advice when he was, when, especially my oldest two were little of, you know, as soon as they can play with toys, they can put them in the toy bin. Never had any luck with that. And I don't mind things being messy. So I was just like, forget that toys are just going to be all over the living room floor. So I didn't care about that. But what I did was as soon as they went to kindergarten, they vacuumed and they started loading the dishwasher. So they'd stand on a chair and we took away all the breakables. All the good stuff was gone for years and years and years. They would unload the stuff they could reach, but then not put away like the the big high stuff. Mm-hmm. I haven't done the dishwasher unless I've wanted to in about 19 years now. Yeah. I, I don't so, do it unless I want to. Either. Yeah. Yeah. It starts when, when, whenever you as a mother can handle the stress of, of making them do it, and for me, it was kindergarten. Anything before kindergarten, it was just a wash. I think I had too many kids to worry about, oh, now you're going to clean your room. Never really made them clean the rooms, but didn't allow food in the room. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, so for us, and my advice for other moms is to figure out what really matters to you and how can you set up an environment for success? Mm-hmm. Like we never had mold growing in bedrooms and I never really had to make them clean their rooms. Because the environment already was set up that they're not going to have Dr. Pepper cans and old cereal bowls in their room, things like that. It's just taking on a little bit more responsibility all the time, you know, mowing the yard. I think dogs are great in families because it's that responsibility of you got to take the dog out three times or you're going to be cleaning poop out of the carpet. Like it's, it's a very natural consequences kind of situation uh, when you have a dog. Yeah. Well, and if you're a perfectionist, letting some of that go, like I know it was really hard for me to say, okay, my daughter can clean the bathroom. She can clean it. It is not going to be the way that I want it cleaned. And what I need to do is just not go in there because it's her bathroom. There you go. Well, it's the kid's bathroom. And every now and then going in and maybe just showing her, hey, did, you know, pay attention to this once every few months, even longer than that sometimes. And that's been wildly successful for us. Hey, (laughs) once Lysol Lysol cleaning wipes could go in every bathroom. Yes. They were young enough not to eat them uh, and wash their hands after them or they're old enough not to eat them. The world is our oyster. But yeah. And um, also we're of the opinion we don't give allowance, but you can earn money. And doing chores is just earning your keep in the household. Like we all have work. We it's for us, like the big family, it's a big operation. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to pull their own. And I do think that it does give children a sense of confidence. Now I they'll think so fuss too. and they'll say they hate it, but everybody wants to know 
that they're pulling their weight and that they're important and they have value. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I've heard very often from friends of mine when I was right out of college and still single, then in early motherhood was my parents never taught me how to do this. How do you know how to do that? And I'm like, well, girl, if I didn't clean the bathrooms every Saturday, I didn't get to do anything. And I mean, clean all five of them. Like I didn't, I just wasn't allowed to do anything. If my sister didn't mop and vacuum the floors, we didn't get to go out. So I don't know. That's how we learned to do things because that was our chores growing up and it's just what we did. Yeah. Anyways, th that's a whole, I don't think there's any formula, but I do think that having children have responsibility not only helps us, it does help them. Right. And I'm sure research yeah. probably has shown that. Yeah. And when they were younger, I did the chore charts and the advice and I would, you know, I'd Google how other people did it. And it always made me miserable because it just mm -hmm. didn't work for me, mm -hmm. you know, and I wasn't structured enough for the chore charts and they hated that sort of thing. Yes. So we just figured out, well, this is this, what this works for us in this season. Yeah. Cause yeah. it was always going to change. Right. And just kind of going, Hey, I'm just going to make it work for me. Yeah. That works. I mean, even with toddlers, I remember like, okay, my toddler can carry the trash can downstairs from the bathrooms. Like they're not emptying it. They're not doing yeah. anything. Can you, I just need you to go upstairs and get the trash can for me, you know, and little yep. things like that. But anyways, so, okay. Tell me this, you write emotionally healthy parents have the best chance of raising emotionally healthy children. You touched on that briefly earlier, but you didn't really go into it in depth. Share a little bit more, just kind of what you wrote about that. Maybe what some people, like you said, you had tons of experts who spoke to it. Mm -hmm. Unpack that for us a bit. Yeah. And I realize that's a really weighty phrase that can be triggering for people. Mm -hmm. um, I consider emotional health completely uh, a combination of three things, mental health, spiritual health, and relational health, the health of your relationships. And I think it's a real eye opener for us all to go wait a minute. I want my children to be emotionally healthy. I want them to love the Lord. I want them to love themselves in the way that the Lord would want to and love other people. I want them to not mistreat themselves. I want them to be good to themselves and other people. I mean, these are things we want for our children. But then we realize if the old adage more is caught than taught is true. Mm. Why haven't we realized that we have to focus on ourselves to make that happen. Because if we are living lives where, again, we're putting our needs on the shelf, we're not taking care of ourselves, we're saying yes out of obligation through gritted teeth and then complaining about it mm -hmm. underneath our breath and doing all the things that we all do, because we all kind of live the same lives behind the scenes. <laughs> but then I expect our children to magically not repeat the same issues. It's huge. So once mm -hmm. I started thinking that way, that my children, at least while they are living in my house, I am the lid for them emotionally, mm -hmm. spiritually, relationally, what I do and what their father does will teach them exactly how to behave. Mm -hmm. And so if I keep putting my needs on the shelf and don't invest in myself and take care of myself, I'm not going to get better in these areas. I'm not going to get healthy. I'm not going to live the full life that God has had for me and teach that to my children. Mm -hmm. So people will often ask me like with spiritual things, um, you know, what did you do to disciple your kids when they were younger? And the truth is we lived it out. We went to church, they went to Christian school, but did we do family devotionals? No. 
Did we read the Bible together before bed every night? No, we watched a lot of YouTube before bed every night. Um, but, Sounds like our family similar. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying I have a chance. <laughs> but but living it out is the most powerful thing. I remember about 10 years ago, the Lord told me to close down my company and just step out in faith. And I remember being terrified about it. And my hmm. oldest son was 24 at the time, or was 14 at the time. He's 24 now. And I remember telling him about it and how scared I was. And he said, well, if God told you to do it, it's going to work out. And I said, I'm, I'm really I'm nervous about it. You know, he was 14. He could handle hearing about it. And he has talked about that, how that was so important in his faith journey to watch me just step out in faith when God was calling me to do something. It's the way we live our lives. It's the things that our kids see. It is so much more who we are than what we do. But we kind of have it twisted where we go, it's everything I do as a mom matters. But if we could realize that it's the grand view of who we are and the decisions we make and the actions we take and how we live day to day, that's really teaching our kids. And if we're not sitting down and teaching Latin and knitting socks all day and French braiding hair and just sitting and gazing at them lovingly all the time, it's fine. And yeah. if we actually do that, if we spend all of our time gazing lovingly and doing all of these things to take care of our children when they're a little bit too old to do it. We actually handicap our children as they go out into life. So when they're little tiny babies, we're just focused on them. As they as they grow through the years, we need this process that psychologists call differentiation, where you and the baby both go, we're different people, or not the baby anymore, it's probably preschool. We're different people and that's okay. We love each other, but you're you and I'm me. And as the child gets older, there's more differentiation. So we're doing more things for ourselves. We're living that life that God's called us to live. The child's doing the same. When we don't do that and we stay so hyper-focused, we can become enmeshed with our children mm. and we can become a little bit bitter and lose ourselves in the process. That's the real danger. Mm. So it's learning to live in the fullness of what God has for us as mothers, which means taking care of ourselves, keeping friendships with people we love you know, learning to get some sleep, go for a walk, write that book. If he's called you to write that book, build that business, you know, get that part-time, whatever it is, it's okay. And God will take care of everything in the process. Well, and don't you think too, that some, so much of just living it out in front of your kids is, is not hiding hard things or just life. Oh. Like you said, you had that conversation with your son. And I think so often, like we just don't let kids... We almost live a segmented life. Like if I let my kids know I'm struggling here, everything's going to blow up. When I feel like the exact opposite happens, you invite them in to really be a part of the family. Yeah. Because once they become teenagers, they know a lot of stuff. That, they do. So you can start having grown up conversations. You know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to tell them too much, you know, private emotional stuff. No one wants to hear that from their parents. Uh, but you can talk about real life. And I think kids enjoy it because they they learn a lot from that. Yeah. And that yeah. whole idea of like, I'm sorry, I've been grumpy today. I'm just really struggling. Like I'm having a yeah. rough day. Please forgive me. Bear with me. Like I've said that with my kids because they're partially homeschooled. And so they're with yeah. me three days a week, but at school two days a week. And some days I'm like, guys, listen, I know I've just not been nice to you today. I, I have not been nice. Please, I'm sorry. Bear with me. Like, I'm just having a rough day. 
And I think that almost for them, you know, it keeps them from walking on eggshells so much like, okay, I'm not the only one that has bad days. Like mommy just has bad days too. Yeah, it does a couple of things. It teaches them how to restore a relationship when we've done something wrong, because hello, we're humans, we do something wrong every day. But also kids, as they're, especially young kids are very egocentric. It's just the way the brains are are developing. Yeah, They think everything's about them. So it protects the child from having those thoughts of, oh, mom's, mom's grumpy or mom's angry today. I must've done something bad. Therefore I must be bad. Yeah. So it protects them from that to go, oh, mom's grumpy because she stubbed her toe and she didn't sleep well last night, but it's not (laughs) about me. Great. So it's really important to do that. Oh, I love that. Right. And I think too, with kids, I I remember Kristen um, Hatton saying, my kids grew up and the first time they realized like, oh, mom is not perfect. Like she's not this flawless person. And I couldn't believe that they had actually thought that about me my whole parenting life, because, you know, in front of them, I just kind of kept it all together. And I, and I thought, wow, that is kind of shocking. Tell them my kids will not let me live it down. Two of them had the same experience. I, for some reason, I thought it was funny, but I (laughs) had told them that ladies never have gas. (laughs) <laughs> and two different boys, one at 12, and I forget the other age at school had made the announcement, well, women don't have gas and were quickly shot down by their classmates. So right. neither one of them will let me forgive it. So I was like, you guys, it was a joke. And they're like, how, how are we supposed to know it's a joke? You never told <laughs> us it was a joke. So you just, you never know what they're going to believe. It is true. I'm always like, okay, <laughs> that one might send you to counseling when you're an adult, but I'll pay. I'll pay. <laughs> you know, like, all right. Well, let's close with this. Tell me right now, like, how can a mother be sure that she's doing a good job raising her children? And then what is one thing that a mom can do to really help herself thrive as a person and as a parent? Oh, great questions. I think helping ourselves thrive as a person, as a parent, it's really important to ask ourselves that magic question every day. What do I need right now? Maybe it's more time with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's you need to have a Saturday lunch with a girlfriend because we do need our girlfriends. Uh, We can't just rely on that household to keep us happy. Um, But the process of asking ourselves what we need, it's important because it places value on Mm -hmm. us, just like God places value on us. And God cares that we rest. God cares that we're well taken care of. God cares that we're taking care of ourselves and we're giving a good example to our children. So that's really important, that question. But I could get really philosophical about how does a mom know if she's doing a good job, but I think it can come down to something really, really simple. Of course, everybody listening here is loving her children. Of course, everybody listening is loving the Lord and trying to raise them up to love the Lord. That's a given. Nobody here is like well, I do take a break from being a mom to rob banks every Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, let's just assume it's a gift. Right. But the thing to keep in mind to know we're good moms is to think of the trajectory view of our child's life. Is that child, now the terrible twos don't count and ages 13 and 14 don't count because those are rough stages. But is that, is the trajectory of my child's life going in the right direction? Hmm. I had one very sweet child who was a terror as a kid. He would fight and bite kids on the playground. We still don't know why. 
And I remember being like, he's not going to the playground anymore because when they corner him in those tubes, he will attack. We don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> but then he grew out so of it. Funny. And I remember going, I remember going, the trajectory of his life is going in the right direction. I'm obviously mm. doing something right. You know, is your child may be a menace in this stage. Your child may not ever say thank you in this stage, but mm. can you get a thank you? Is that better than six months ago? Is that better than a year ago? So when we zoom, sometimes we zoom in on the day to day and we have a bad day and we go, I'm such a terrible mom and, you know, kids are everywhere. Right. And what am I going to do? I, I, I lost my cool today and I yelled. We got to zoom out and look at the trajectory of our lives and our kids' lives. And when we do that, we can normally go, oh, today was bad or this week stank. But if I look at the trajectory of my kids' life and me as a mother, things are pretty good and yeah. God is in control. And like we talked about before, God created each one of our children uniquely. Like you can, mm -hmm. I, I dive into the book of twin studies, twins that were separated as newborns. People grow up pretty similar. That's what's wild. Like crazy, like real similar, spooky similar. And so God has formed us. He has knitted us together in our mother's womb. He's given us this DNA that will affect our personalities and what we're going to do in the future. It is crazy. And because we can understand kind of the, the science of how people grow up, as well as the truth from scripture, mm -hmm. our job as mothers isn't to be God. It isn't to control every little thing. God's already done that. It is to just love them and share our lives and share our faith with them and learn to enjoy it along the way. That's real freedom as a mom. Mm, I love that. I always say is brain science is catching up with God science right? Yeah. Like he's the one yep. who did it. We're just starting to figure it out. So the more studies that come out, I go, what do you know? God said this 2000 years ago. Yeah. Yep. Same. Well, Allie, um, you really are a bright light for us as moms, whether we work or whether we don't, whether we're single or whether we're married. And so um, for anyone who may be listening, who does not know where to find all of your books and all of your things, where can they go? Uh, AllieWorthington.com. And I have the Allie Worthington show, but something fun on my website, I have a quick two minute quiz that's called find your superpower. So if anyone wants to go there and find out how God has uniquely made you and what your gifts are, you can take that quiz on the website. Thank you so much, Allie. Thanks. It's been great to be here. The links and resources Allie mentioned are linked in the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com. And don't forget to grab 10 lunchbox jokes for your Christian kids, tweens, and teens for free at graceenoughpodcast.com slash jokes. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.